If you have your Bible uh, or copy of God's Word, you could take it and turn with me to Judges chapter 3, Judges in in the Old Testament, right after the book of Joshua, so towards the front of your Bible. We're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 30 this morning, and you'll notice um, we are moving past uh, Othniel. Uh, He's the first judge, and few reasons for that. Very little details given about Othniel, but in some ways, remember it's a downward spiral in Judges, and so if there is a bright spot in the book of Judges, it's Othniel. Uh, He's a little bit like Judge Dredd. Uh, If you remember the 90s movie with Sylvester Stallone, uh, he he was a great judge. He took care of business, Othniel. Remember, they're not judges like... uh, on a bench with a robe. These are warriors. These are military leaders. And so he was a very good leader, and he took, he went in, and he did exactly what he was supposed to do and took care of business. And so very little detail given on Othniel. And then we move to Ehud, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, And he's not quite the warrior uh, in some senses as Othniel. Uh, In many ways, he's the complete opposite. Uh, he's an unlikely uh, deliverer. Uh, he's an unlikely hero. And so we're going to read this passage, and uh, kids, if you listen closely, I think you'll be shocked about what's actually in the Bible. So let's read God's Word, <clears throat> starting in verse 12. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil. See, we get the cycle starting again. Uh, was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. People of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubic in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose From his seat, and Ehud reached with his left hand. He took the sword from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Interesting. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the door of the cool roof chamber. This is his bathroom, by the way behind him and locked the door. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. 
But when, but when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan after the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, and not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. It's at this point that I think it's important to remember that all Scripture, even this passage, is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching and correcting and training in all righteousness. So with that in mind, let's pray and ask God to help us. We need it this morning. Father, I pray for your help this morning, that you, through your spirit, would take this word, um, very detailed, very strange, we could even say uh, gross, and I pray that you would apply it to our hearts and that you would make this passage clear to us this morning. But also through this passage, show us uh, that the gospel really is good news for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We got our work cut out for us, you could say, this morning. What in the world do you do with a passage like this? Well, I said it a few minutes ago, it's no accident that this passage is here. Everything in God's Word is there for a reason, and it's here to teach us this morning. And so let's jump right in, and let's see what God wants to teach us through this very strange passage about Ehud. And to begin with, here's the main idea. You're a note taker, it's this. It's uh, God uses, it works in very unexpected ways to accomplish his purposes in his people and in the world. God works in very unexpected ways to accomplish his purposes in his people and in the world. This passage, as we're going to see this morning, is full of unexpected things. And so we're going to look, and don't let this throw you, but we're going to look at four unexpected things this morning. The unexpected enemy, the unexpected judge or deliverer, the unexpected rescue, and the unexpected Messiah. And we will work quickly uh, through some of these. So let's look at number one, and let's look at an unexpected enemy that we see in this passage. Look at verses 12 through 17. We see the cycle beginning again. Israel Again, that's a broken record. We're going to see it every week. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. What was that? Worshiping idols, the idols of the people around them that had oppressed them. And it says that the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab. And I want us to think about this. Why is that significant? Why is that so unexpected? Because we're looking at unexpected things. 
Let me try to explain. Israel had lots of strong enemies in, it, in her time, uh, like the Philistines. The Moabites were not one of those strong enemies. They were not one of the groups that God's people should have driven out. In other words, they weren't part of the promised land. The Moabites were weak. The Moabites were scared to death of Israel from the first time they heard about Israel and interacted with them. And not only that, uh, the Moabites were part of Israel's past. They were a distant memory, we could say. And so do you see the irony? You see who God is raising up to oppress his people? How unexpected it must have been for them to hear, the Israelites, to hear that God had raised the Moabites. This would never have crossed their mind. They thought they were a distant memory. They thought they would struggle with enemies, but the Moabites would never be one of them. Not only that, look at how this man, this King Eglon of Moab, is described. Look at verse 17. He's described, you see what the author's trying to do here? As a very fat man. In Hebrew, the word Eglon comes from the word calf. And so, not only do we have a fat man, but you have a fattened calf. This would have been laughable. That Israel would have been beaten by an overweight king by little old weak Moab. Maybe the Philistines, but never the Moabites. Not in a million years would Israel have ever thought that they had anything at all to worry about Moab. So what? What's the application for us this morning? Well, this is what I like to call a pride check. You see, the thing in your life that you laugh at, or the thing in your life that you think this morning is a distant memory, the thing in your life that you look at and you say, I used to struggle with that. Ah, but that that was so long ago, and I haven't struggled with that in years. I'm good. That's not a problem for me anymore. Whatever that is in your life this morning, that is the thing that you need to pay the most attention to. The Israelites, think about what they thought of Moab. That's never going to be the problem. They're, we don't have to worry about Moab. And that's the very thing that enslaved them. It's pretty sobering for us this morning because often what this is showing us, and we've talked about these kinds of things before, but the greatest danger in in your life this morning is not the thing that you instinctively think. Rather, it's the hidden stuff. This is why you need someone involved in your life to help you see what you can't see. The greatest danger to you this morning is the thing in the places where you say, I would never. I would never do that. Or it's the things that you pat yourself on the back for. The things that you like most about yourselves. Those are the things you need to pay attention to. Friends, never forget, even on your best day, that you always need Jesus. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? The second unexpected thing we see is we see an unexpected deliverer. Look at uh, verse 15. So God's, being, uh, God's people are being oppressed. 
And finally, they cry out. We're going to, again, part of the, the cycle. And they say, God, help us. And so God raises up this deliverer named Ehud. But look at how he's described. Ehud, a left-handed man. Anytime we see this in our Bible, your senses should go up and think, what in the world? He says it a few times in the passage. Why do we care about what dominant hand Ehud has? That's a very important question as we look at the Bible. And so what is, what's going on here? Well, verse 15 literally reads like this in the original language, the Hebrew. He, Ehud was unable to use his right hand. Ehud was unable to use his right hand. Most commentators say that he was disabled or crippled in some way. He was bound of right hand. And what's interesting is if you look at the Benjaminites, which is the tribe that Ehud was from, that was a tribe that was known as the right-handed ones. And so at a minimum... Ehud, we could say, is an outsider among his own people and his own clan. But there's more. In the Hebrew culture and in the culture of the Bible, a, the right hand, which Ehud had not, had, did not have a right hand, he was bound of right hand. But in that culture, the right hand was a place of power. Exodus fifteen six, Your right hand, O Lord, gracious in power, Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. It was also a place of blessing. Genesis 48, Jacob blesses his son by putting his right hand on him. The right hand symbolized security. Psalm 16, 8, I set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I will never be shaken. You see it? Ehud, useless in his right hand. And that is what made him a very unexpected deliverer and savior. But why? Why would God, that's the question. Why in the world, God could have chosen anybody to deliver his people. Why in the world would he choose a crippled man named Ehud? Well, you see it all throughout the Bible. You see it from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. God always chooses the nobodies. Remember our study of David? The runt? You got any other sons to do the work of God? Oh yeah, there's this throwaway son named David. The one that no one wanted because he was such a runt. God works through the barren. He works through the flawed and the broken and the weak and the people that are messed up. And you know who he overlooks? The prideful. He overlooks the strong. The people that have it all together or think they have it all together. Why? Because God is wanting to show you and show us, the Bible screams, that salvation from beginning to end has nothing to do with you. That it's grace from beginning to end. The work of rescue and salvation is His work, not yours. I love how the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28, For consider your calling... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you powerful. Not many of you noble of birth. But God chooses what is foolish to shame the wise. 
and what is weak to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in the world. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be very good news this morning. That God uses, anybody else feel weak or broken or flawed or not good enough? Or we could say, perhaps you feel spiritually handicapped this morning. You see, God uses people that don't know enough. You ever feel like you don't know enough of the Bible or you can't say the right thing? Or you've had too much of baggage in your background. God can't possibly use me. Friends, the good news is that unlike politics and athletics and the corporate world and college and grad school, God not only receives and loves flawed nobodies like us, but He actually uses us to accomplish, think about Ehud, uses us to accomplish His purposes in the world. And it's not the exception. It's actually the rule in God's economy in the way He normally works. God opposes the proud friends and gives grace to the humble. He uses weak people like Ehud to accomplish his purposes in the world. Well, let's look at the other unexpected thing. We see an unexpected rescue. Look at verses 15 and 16. So Ehud goes to see Eglon, and he's claiming that he has a word from God. So Eglon, because of out of reverence, staggers to his feet. And then in verse 21, we see the narrative, and you can see it very clearly, starts to slow down. And it's as if it goes into slow motion. And you see every single detail, starting in verse 21. Notice that Ehud reaches to his right side to get his sword with his left hand, and that's what actually got him through security, right? Everyone carried their sword on their left side because they were right-handed, and so they patted Ehud down, and he didn't have a sword there. He had it on the other side because he was left-handed, and so he gets through with his sword, and he takes it out after Eglon staggers to his feet, and he stabs him in the stomach, pauses the tape, Remember Eglon's name? What does it mean? Fattened calf. What happens to the fattened calves in the Bible? They get slaughtered. You see, the Jewish readers, they would have read this, and they they were struggling under the oppression of God's enemies, and they would have found this humorous, humorous, that God is delivering them by slaughtering the fattened calf. Go back to the text. The, the blade we see totally submerges in the fat and it rolls around the hilt of the knife. I know it's gross. The only way I can say that is because it's in the Bible. The fat closes around. He collapses and then look at verse 22. The dung comes out. And Eglon's lackeys are on a coffee break. And they come back. And the smell almost knocks them to the ground. I love that line. And they were so embarrassed. And so finally, he's behind this locked door in the bathroom. They finally break down the door and they walk in and they see Eglon lying on the floor. And Ehud has already made his escape. But how did Ehud escape? You think it's messy now? It's about to get a whole lot messier. Here we go. 
verse 21, verse 23. It says that he escaped out of the porch. Well, in Hebrew, it does not say porch. It actually says the place of concealment, which is another way of saying the toilet. So he slides down through the opening in the floor to get to ground level. In other words, Ehud escapes by going through the septic tank. If you're thinking Shawshank Redemption right now, that's exactly what you should be thinking. That's exactly how Ehud escapes. And listen, that's the picture. Is it raunchy and gross? Yes. But it's supposed to be. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to point out verse 26 because I think it's worth noting. It almost sounds like a throwaway line. Ehud escapes while they were delayed on waiting on Eglon to get out of the restroom. And he passes by the idols and escapes. Why is that there? You know what the author's doing there? It's showing them that while Eglon is being killed... The idols of the Moabites are standing still. They're standing in silence, doing nothing. Why? Because your idols will always let you down. We talked about this last week. And they will never deliver you. And so why is this here? Why in the world would this, what does this craziness have to do with your life this morning in 2018? Well, the first one is this. It's kind of the point of the story. It's God reminds us that he often rescues his people in a very unexpected way. God rescues people and changes people in a way that we don't expect. Let me give you an illustration. Joe Novenson, you've heard me talk about him. He's a pastor at Lookout Mountain. And he has this Jewish friend uh, that works at this butcher, butcher shop that he's really close to named Bruce. Joe's daughter has a product Uh, or a a project on Judaism, and he goes up to Bruce and asks to borrow a copy of his Torah for the project. And Joe says the copy of this Torah, you could tell it just through years of, of use, the cover was falling off. It was cracked. It was, the pages were falling out. And when the project was over, he took this copy of, of the Torah and he went and got it bound rebound in the finest leather that you could possibly get. And he takes this back to Bruce, and he gives Bruce his copy of the Torah, and it's no longer battered and beaten and pages falling out, but it's like brand new in the finest leather that you could money could buy. And when he gives it to Bruce, Bruce falls down and begins weeping. Why do I tell you that story? Well, because we expect in that situation that the impact or the change or the rescue in this man's life would come when we're beating him over the head with facts about Jesus. Or explanation or challenging or correcting and challenging his views on Jesus. That might need to happen, but notice what changed this man's life was not by beating him over the head with the Bible, but by showing him Jesus. By serving him. That was the thing. Unexpected. That was the thing that melted this guy's heart. And we see it all the time, don't we? We think that the thing that's going to change our coworker, 
or the thing that's going to change our family member or our child or our friend or our neighbor is the thing that's going to change them is when we say the perfect thing at just the right time in just the right way. But it's never that, is it? Instead, to our surprise, you know what God uses is our sin and our service and our humility and our prayer and our sharing and our vulnerability and our own repentance to the other person. Secondly, I think this passage also shows us, and I think, and I would say, thank goodness, that the Bible has some dirt on it. The Bible's messy. And I think that's very good news because I think this messy and some would even say gross scene shows us something about God. God's not up in heaven with white gloves on, not afraid to get involved in real life and in real mess. But God actually comes down and gets involved in the messy and dirty things in the world. You see, in the middle of our mess and fear, God, Jesus doesn't shame you this morning, doesn't tell you to get your act together. You know what he does? He comes down and gets messy on a cross. Remember, he moves into your neighborhood and gets messy with us and actually meets us in the middle of our mess. And I don't know about you, but that is good news, isn't it? Because think about it. Anybody in the middle of a mess this morning? Anybody afraid, dealing with your own sin and the consequences that your sin has brought to your family and to your own life and to your family situations? Maybe you're struggling with addiction. This passage shows you that you have a God that actually gets in all of that with you, as messy as you think it is. And not only that, I think when we think about Ehud, he uses the mess, but he also, think about Ehud, he takes you through the mess in order to redeem you, in order to change you and rescue you. We don't like that. I don't like that. We want God to just come and airlift us out of whatever mess we're in, but God doesn't work that way. I talk to people all the time, and I ask them, and as they're telling their story, and they talk about their times of spiritual growth in their life, and as they tell their story, you know what? Their biggest times of spiritual growth, it's never when I buy the new house. It's never, you know, I really grew when I got that big bonus that I wasn't expecting. Or when I got the new car that I've always wanted. You know this in your own life. You know when the biggest periods of growth is when you're in the middle of hard stuff. When you're in the middle of messy stuff because God takes you through that stuff and He actually refines you And makes you more like Him and changes your life. Thirdly, or fourthly. (laughs) Four points this morning. Uh, An unexpected Messiah. Look at verse 30. So they're delivered. They have peace for 80 years. But if you have your Bible open, look at chapter 4, verse 1. What happens when Ehud dies? Here we go again. The Israelites do what is evil in the sight of of the Lord. And so we see that Ehud's deliverance was not enough. It wasn't permanent. And this is one of the ways that the book of Judges in its entirety points you forward to Jesus. Because one of the things this screams for us 
is that the judges never could solve their problem. Their biggest problem. Which was their heart. And so the book of Judges in this passage leaves us screaming week after week. You want to talk about getting ready for Christmas? You're going to be so ready for the birth of Jesus come Christmas when we get through with this book that you won't be able to stand it. But I think that's a good thing. You see, Ehud here leaves us desperate for a better Ehud. Desperate for a better deliverer. And you know what? We've got one. We've got a very unexpected, unlikely hero who was the most left-handed person of all. Jesus. And like Ehud, Jesus came and he was an unlikely hero and he delivered his people just like Ehud in a very unexpected and unlikely way. Think about uh, like Ehud, Jesus was obscure. Jesus was overlooked. Jesus was weak. He was born in a dog bowl. Not in a palace. Isaiah says this about the Messiah, about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You see, Jesus is the most unlikely of deliverers. A homeless peasant from a hole-in-the-wall village in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And it's who God put in the world in order to rescue it, in order to save you. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? But not only is he an unlikely hero in Jesus, but he also, like Ehud, delivers in a very unlikely and unexpected way. Because Jesus comes and he doesn't do it by victory and by bringing the sword and mowing all of his enemies down, but instead of defeating and killing his enemies, he lets his enemies kill him. That's the way God has chosen to deliver you this morning. From your sin or addiction or whatever it is that you're struggling with. It's to send his son to die on a cross and to bear the judgment of God for your sin. It's backwards, but it's your only hope. Dr. Richard Seltzer is an experienced surgeon. He wrote this book called Mortal Lessons. And he's talking about a time that he had to operate on a young woman's face. And he had to to remove a tumor from her cheek. And he, in doing so, had to cut, in order to get all of the tumor, had to cut a small nerve that left her face palsy and clownish. And he recalls walking into the hospital room and the young woman saying, will my mouth always be like this? And he replies, yes, it will. And I'm so sorry. But I had to cut a small nerve so that I could get all of the tumor. The woman nods in silence. Her husband standing nearby overhears the conversation and walks into the scene as the doctor's there. And he looks at his wife and he says, I love it. And I think you look so cute. And then he grabs his wife and he grabs her by the cheeks and he bends down to kiss her crooked mouth, and he twists her lips in order, his lips in order to fit hers, to show her that the kiss still worked, and that he loves her just the same. That's the gospel. God accommodating himself to you. 
so that you can feel his kiss through his only son, Jesus. Reminding us and reminding you this morning that whatever mess you find yourself and whatever pain you're dealing with, that he loves you just the same. See, the messiness of the cross, friends, is God shouting at you this morning, there is nothing that I'm unwilling to do in order to have you with me. That's the kind of deliverer you need this morning. That's the kind of deliverer that I need. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming down from your throne. That you're not a God that stands off in the distance with white gloves on, afraid to get dirty, but you actually come down and you get in our mess. Would you forgive us for our pride, for thinking that we don't need you? Forgive us for our pride, for thinking that you only use strong people and well-put-together people. Would you help us this morning to believe that you are good and that you love us in the midst of our mess, that you love us just the same? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.